turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The U.S. and Russia race to recover debris from a fallen drone. One wrong move by either side and it could start a war between us. A San Francisco board approves a draft for a $5 million reparations payment. This is outrageous. It's unlawful. It's unconstitutional. It's racist. Stocks plummet after a Swiss bank gets its funding cut. Thanks to the government, the entire U.S. banking system is a house of cards. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, March 16th. I'm Mike Scott. The U.S. and Russia are racing to recover the debris of the drone that crashed into the Black Sea after a mid-air collision with a Russian jet. On Wednesday, Russian officials announced that operations were underway to collect the debris of the downed U.S. drone, all while denying responsibility for the incident. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin addressed the event that led to the downing of the U.S. drone. Russian aircraft again engaged in dangerous, reckless, and unprofessional practices on Tuesday in international airspace over the Black Sea. Two Russian jets dumped fuel on an unmanned U.S. MQ-9 aircraft conducting routine operations in international airspace. And one Russian jet intercepted and hit our MQ-9 aircraft, resulting in a crash. This hazardous episode is a part of a pattern of aggressive and risky and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. So make no mistake, the United States will continue to fly and to operate wherever international law allows. And it is incumbent upon Russia to operate its military aircraft in a safe and professional manner. Coordinator for Strategic Communications at the National Security Agency, John Kirby, explained that while it's not uncommon for Russia to try and bully other aircraft in international waters, This one was different in how reckless it was. It is not uncommon, Amr, for there to be intercepts by Russian aircraft of of U.S. aircraft uh, over the Black Sea. Even in in just uh, in recent weeks, there have been other intercepts. But this one uh, obviously is noteworthy because of how unsafe and unprofessional it was, indeed reckless that it was. Um, and causing the downing uh, of one of our aircraft. So it's unique in that regard. Russia has denied that aircraft touched one another and accused the U.S. of unnecessarily escalating the issue. Russian Ambassador Anatoly Anatov released a statement saying, in part, we assume that the United States will refrain from further speculation in the media and stop flights near Russian borders. 
Former U.S. Special Operations Intel analyst Brett Velikovich says that while the act of downing the U.S. drone was deliberate, the U.S. has to be very careful because one wrong move, in his opinion, could start a war. We've seen these incidents happen before, um, especially when the Iranians shot down drones uh, and the U.S. really didn't respond. And I think Russia calculated that they could effectively down this drone without much repercussions from the U.S. side. And, and they're probably right. And at first, you know, them saying this was an accidental collision, you know, but you don't accidentally bump into a Reaper surveillance drone at 20,000 feet in the air. This was a deliberate act, and it shows a major change in Putin's calculus when dealing with the U.S. and that he's ready to expand his strike zone and send a message. And there's no room for mistakes here, Stuart. One wrong move by either side, and it could start a war between us. And U.S. officials, I think, have been very clear and very careful um, that both sides need to try and avoid these incidents that escalate this tension. But this drone, look, it's not exactly a stealth drone. Uh, it's been flying over that area for quite some time now, even publicly. Sure. Uh, people have been posting their location constantly on social media from flight tracking software. And um, and so it was only a matter of time, I think, before Russia started to do something. Velikovich believes that this incident is a wake-up call for the U.S. military to upgrade their drones. Well, it's very difficult to do that. Um, you know, first, you know, these these drones, trying to recover them, uh, especially from the enemy side, it's it's difficult to actually capture the data on it. The drones are designed to delete any data that's recovered on it. That's that's how it's made. So they're probably not going to pull at least what um, the U.S. you know pilots were actually staring at up there. But it does go to show, uh, Stuart, it highlights really a major problem right now, I think, with the U.S. military drone industry. The Defense Department, they need to get their heads wrapped around that current and future wars. They can't use the same tools that we all used growing up fighting ISIS or the Taliban. Reaper drones... You know, we're primarily built for an enemy that didn't have this type of reach. And so okay. this should be a wake-up call to U.S. officials to start innovating more quickly to actually okay. put more surveillance aircraft that's difficult to find, not one that can be tracked uh, on, on Twitter. Velikovich explains why it's in America's interest to help Ukraine defend itself. I'm sitting in Ukraine right now, and Americans really need to understand why it's so important to support Ukraine. Look, this is fundamentally a war against good versus evil. And Russia is pure evil. This is about one country threatening another's way of life simply because they want to rename some territory. Your entire families are out here dying because of this nonsense of a madman that is Putin. And it's a war against freedom. You know, people need to understand that brave Ukrainian men and women, they've been standing on the, the front lines of democracy. They're defending the gates of Europe from Putin and Russian aggression. And if Ukraine is allowed to fail, Russia's not going to stop at Ukraine's borders. And so what's happening here today is going to determine how the coming generations will live, whether they're going to live in, you know, a democratic society or a totalitarian state. So we need to stay here as long as it takes because it affects us all. Ukrainian officials have claimed the alleged incident is Russia's attempt to escalate U.S. involvement in the war. Francisco's Board of Supervisors unanimously voted to approve a draft plan to issue reparations for African Americans in that city for a one-time payment of $5 million per qualifying person. Leland Vinnert of News Nation lays out details of the San Francisco proposal. Something much bigger is already happening. And no surprise, perhaps, it is starting in San Francisco. We're talking about slavery reparations. The committee in San Francisco to decide these things hasn't done an analysis of the proposal's costs, but the negotiation starts 
at payments of $5 million to every eligible black adult. The elimination of personal debt and tax burdens guaranteed annual income of at least $97,000 for 250 years. Homes in San Francisco, just $1 for a family. Vitter goes on to explain who may potentially qualify according to the first draft of that proposal. This is not a joke. This is the actual proposal. To qualify, someone would have to prove they're over 18 years old, have identified as black or African-American on public records for at least 10 years. And then there are two other criteria, which could still change. But right now, you have to meet two of these, being born in or migrated to San Francisco between 1940 and 1996, lived in the city for 13 years or more, displaced from San Francisco by urban renewal between 1954 and 73. You could be the descendant of someone who was displaced between 54 and 73. Being a person incarcerated by the war on drugs, the descendant of someone who was incarcerated by the war on drugs, attending the city's public schools before they were fully desegregated, or descending from a person who was a U.S. slave before 1865. However, while the board has accepted the draft, it does not mean that the board will ultimately approve of the proposal. Justin Hansford, a professor at Howard University, says that the draft proposal was the result of an intense amount of research. One of the interesting things about this proposal is that it was preceded by one of the more specific, thorough research endeavors by the city council's commission to try to detail specifically what were the harms and what would the appropriate remedies be in a perfect world. There were over 111 proposals that have been put forward. Uh, This is one of them, but this is more so the appraisal, not the the final price, if you will. This is the true analysis based on uh, a group that was tasked with trying to determine what the actual harm would be in today's dollars. Hansford believes that reparations are the right thing to do. I think as a country, uh, we spend billions of dollars to right wrongs and provide care uh, for harms that we ourselves as individuals may not have been uh, participating in. We're spending over $100 billion in Ukraine, and I haven't been involved in in bombing Ukraine. But uh, to get to your point, I think that ultimately uh, what what has been shown in this report is that There are ongoing lingering effects, not only of enslavement, but also Jim Crow segregation, housing segregation. That $14 trillion wealth gap, which you uh, showed the figure of on the screen, is the direct result of policies undertaken by the United States government and by our city governments. Meanwhile, the San Francisco chapter of the NAACP called for the rejection of the draft proposal saying that it should focus instead on education for the black community. Former San Francisco mayoral candidate Richie Greenberg slammed the reparations plan as illegal under five state and federal laws. Leo Terrell, a civil rights attorney and talk radio host, is also blasting that proposal, calling it outrageous. This is outrageous, it's unlawful, it's unconstitutional, it's racist, but it's not surprising it came from California. On the day of MLK's life, birthday, we're talking about a racist program to benefit individuals who happen to be black, $5 million. California was a free state. 
Who's going to pay for it? Why should they get $5 million? Because of skin color? It's insulting. It's racist. And I'll tell you right now, this state a couple of years ago tried to pass Prop 16, an old version of affirmative action. It lost, even though that meant that there were sane Democrats who knew it's unfair to benefit one group over another because of skin color. One last point. Somebody said, judge a person by the character of his conduct, not the color of his skin. And that is a person that we should be following, not giving people $5 million based on skin color. It's outrageous. Harris Faulkner of Fox News asked if her adopted biracial sibling qualifies for growing up with a black family. I wonder, how do you actually qualify for this? Are we yeah. doing like a, a huge genetic study? Well, if you were, and, and my mom was a social worker, I talk about it all the time. We adopted a, a biracial baby. When I was growing up, we'd have foster care in my home, children from every walk of life. They were with a black family. Would they get reparations? By the way, we were in the San Francisco Bay Area for part of that time. So I, I'm wondering yeah. who, who actually can check what boxes to get this? And how many in the last couple of generations of blacks actually came from Africa? Like, is that how they're doing it? Faulkner questions who the proposal will actually help. I have really basic questions here, because as Emily just pointed out, there are a lot of people, no matter what your skin color or your situation is economically, you could use some help. And I can't imagine you not wanting to be in a neighborhood where everybody is being helped. A high tide lifts all boats. I don't know. Does this make people want to study more, to, to rise, to do all of that? The victimhood is dripping in this. Who does this help? The proposed $5 million payment to black residents has been decried as being an arbitrary figure. On Wednesday, local, state, and federal authorities testified about the border crisis during a field hearing in McAllen, Texas, held by the GOP-led House Homeland Security Committee. The event examined the link between the Biden administration's policies and the surge in illegal immigration and illicit drugs like the deadly opioid fentanyl flowing across the southwest border. U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz testified that Mexican drug cartels have stepped their game up using technology to help traffic illicit narcotics and people into the U.S., the cartels have become awfully sophisticated, and a smuggler no longer has to leave uh, the, the Mexican side to smuggle a group of migrants or narcotics across the border. He can do it virtually via a phone app and a SUAS. Republican Representative Monica De La Cruz of Texas reveals that border agents last year alone detected cartel drones in just one border sector in Texas. 35,000 drone detections from the cartel that are watching our agents, watching our American communities, and leading illegal immigrants through our southwest border. That being said, out of the 35,000 drone detections, only 10,000 were intercepted. Under questioning, U.S. Border Patrol Chief Ortiz testified that he disagreed with President Biden's executive order to suspend the border wall construction. 
under the prior administration, we had 200-plus wall that was appropriated, and the President of the United States, President Biden, by executive order, shut that down. Do you disagree with his decision to shut down the construction? Yes, sir. Lieutenant Chris Olivares is with the Texas Department of Public Safety. He believes it's important to have the hearings at the border. It really uh, shines light, uh, exposes the reality of the situation at the border and also the extreme difficulties and challenges that law enforcement face that work on the border, as well as uh, business owners, uh, ranchers, those that live in border communities uh, get to see firsthand what's really taking place at the border. So having these hearings is very important to border security. It's very important to getting the reality out of the situation. And of course, you know, now this is being, this, this will be the second hearing where you don't have both parties involved. And that's why I think that's a serious issue there because again, this, you know, regardless of the political spectrum, whatever side you're on, the fact of the matter is that both parties need to come together and really have real discussions for real solutions for the American people. And I think by not having those discussions or not having both parties involved, the American people are starting to realize or under the assumption that um, one of the, you know, they simply don't care what's happening at the border right now. And they want to ignore the current situation. Oliveras goes on to say that it's imperative that Republicans and Democrats come together to create solutions for the American people. We want, we want some solutions. We're, we're two years into this current situation now. At the state level, you know, we've, we've dedicated every single tool and resources that we have, especially state funding, you know, to this operation, Operation Lone Star, when Governor Abbott launched it, you know, in March of 2021. So, again, you know, we'll continue moving forward, of course. We have to do what we can to protect, you know, Texans and also protect the country from drugs and criminals that are coming across the border. But, again, you know, it, it is frustrating. It's going to be challenging to have a real solution if you don't get both parties involved where they can come together and actually agree on something. Of course, now with the lifting of Title 42 in May, I mean, we're still waiting to see what's going to be put in place on top of that. And if we don't have something in place, we're going to see what we saw in El Paso uh, on Sunday. So we have to have something in place. we got to have an effective you know, policy or strategy to help stem that flow and try to get this border situation resolved. So far, Democrats on the House Homeland Security Committee have refused to participate in the hearings, alleging that the GOP is only looking to score political points. The Dow Jones Industrial Average took a hit on Wednesday due to concerns over a potential banking crisis hitting Europe. Investors were concerned after the Saudi National Bank, Credit Suisse's largest investor, said it could not provide any more funding for the bank due to Swiss law. The Swiss lender said earlier this week it had found certain material weaknesses in their internal controls over financial reporting for the years 2021 and 2022. Swiss regulators now say that the country's central bank would give Credit Suisse liquidity if necessary. Peter Schiff is the chief economist at Euro-Pacific Capital and issued a dire warning about how inflation is impacting the savings of every American. What's happening right now in the banking system is a direct consequence of bad monetary and fiscal policy. The government and the Federal Reserve caused the 2008 financial crisis. They have caused this 2023 greater financial crisis. Thanks to the government, the entire U.S. banking system is a house of cards. The majority of U.S. banks are insolvent. 
And because they're all going to get bailed out and the U.S. government, every bank account is going to be eviscerated by inflation. The Fed is going to print trillions of dollars to bail out the banks and the government. And that means every one of your listeners is going to see the value of their savings collapse as prices go through the roof. Schiff explains how bad monetary policy is driving the bank collapses we're seeing today. The problem wasn't a lack of regulation. It was an excessive amount of regulation that prevented the free market from working. And there was tremendous moral hazard. You know, and by the way, U.S. banking regulations encouraged banks to load up on government debt, mortgage-backed securities. And the Federal Reserve gave them no choice by keeping interest rates at zero for over a decade. The chief economist warned that, in his opinion, a financial disaster is around the corner. We shouldn't even have an FDIC. We had a much sounder banking system before we got the FDIC during the New Deal. But now it's a much bigger moral hazard than ever before. And sure, the cost of deposit insurance is borne by the customers of the bank. It's passed on like like any cost. But the real damage is the moral hazard that it does, because Americans don't give a damn about the risks that the banks take. They just put their money anywhere because it's all guaranteed by the government. What we need is a free market to ensure that the banking system sound. But thanks to the government, it is completely unsound. As I said, it's a house of cards. It's a leveraged mess. The whole thing is going to implode. But what's going to happen is the Fed is going to bail out the entire system. And so you're not going to lose your money. The bank is going to have your money. The problem is your money is going to lose its value. So So you can get your money out of the bank, but you won't be able to buy anything with it. Schiff suggests that, in his opinion, individual investors should start to look out for themselves perhaps invest even in gold. Don't leave much money in the bank. I mean, take it out, buy yourself some gold, silver, do something. But you're going to lose dramatically if you have cash, if you have a deposit in a bank. It doesn't matter if the government insures it or not. They don't insure you against inflation. In fact, they have to create inflation to bail out everybody else. But at this point, you know, it's too late to do the right thing. I mean, they should have done the right thing 20 years ago, uh, 12 years ago. Uh, I, I don't see any precedent in the U.S. government doing the right thing. Every time they get a chance, they do the right thing, and that includes the Federal Reserve. So you've got to protect yourself uh, from this incompetence. I mean, the majority of Americans, as I said, are going to get wiped out by inflation. In recent days, a crisis in the financial sector has centered around regional banks, such as Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank New York. Both collapsed. Both were casualties of poor management in the face of eight interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve in the last 12 months. America's consumers trimmed their spending last month following a buying binge in January. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason is tracking the money. The government reports retail sales slipped four-tenths of one percent after jumping a revised 3.2 percent in January, helped by an increase in auto sales. Retail sales were down in November and December, the crucial holiday period. The February retail sales figure was dragged lower by a 1.8% drop in auto sales, as well as declines in restaurants and stores selling furniture and clothing. Rich Thomason reporting. Across the U.S., hundreds of thousands of nursing home residents are locked in a wretched bind, driven into poverty forced to hand over all income and left to live on a stipend as low as $30 a month. 
There's been no increase by Congress on how much a nursing home resident can receive for their personal needs allowance in decades. Daybreak Insider's Lisa Dwyer is taking a look at this important story. A half-century-old bit of American bureaucracy is leaving hundreds of thousands of nursing home residents in an unthinkable bind, living on as little as $30 a month. Most nursing home residents have their care covered by Medicaid, and any income they receive instead goes towards their bills. The personal needs allowance created in 1972 was meant to cover anything a resident might need that its facility didn't provide, from a phone to clothes or a birthday gift for a grandchild. Although some states have taken action on their own, the allowance remains low in much of the country. Congress has raised the minimum rate only once, back in 1987, when it was raised to $30. I'm Lisa Dwyer. And finally... According to a draft report released by the Pentagon, aliens could already be visiting our solar system along with a mothership hanging around in our universe. Physicist and Harvard professor Avi Loeb says there's a possibility humans aren't the only civilization in the universe. Loeb teamed up with the Pentagon office that investigates unidentified aerial phenomenon, and they released this draft report that indicates it is possible that alien ships have already visited our solar system. Specifically, Loeb thinks the first interstellar object spotted passing through our solar system in 2017 that was given the name Oumuamua could be an extraterrestrial mothership. Loeb says Oumuamua didn't have the characteristics you'd find in meteors or other known objects. He says the mothership could have released smaller ships or probes to study our solar system after spending a long time to get here. Loeb says if Oumuamua was a ship, there likely wasn't life on it. Instead, he believes it could have been operated by artificial intelligence. It's all part of a draft research report authored by Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, and Abraham Loeb, chairman of Harvard's Astronomy Department. It reads in part, quote, an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many smaller probes during its close passage to Earth, an operational construct not too dissimilar from NASA missions. Loeb says that it's not a matter if there are aliens in the solar system. We only have to look for them. Whether we live in such a reality or not, it's not a philosophical question. We just have to look out. According to Loeb, one object of particular interest was a cigar shape that was propelled away from the sun without showing a cometary tail, leading him to believe that it was artificial. An artificial intelligence system that uh, stays dormant for that period and just gets activated when it comes close to its target. Loeb believes the cigar-shaped object was in his opinion, a mothership. We consider a possibility where an object as big as Oumuamua, which was a football field size, uh, is a mothership. Where do you think they come from? How would I know? Someplace. Mars is near the Earth right now. Happens every 18, 20 years, they say. From Mars. 
Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 